Welcome to episode number 26 of the Become a Media Maven podcast. I am really excited for you to hear today's episode because I'm speaking to my friend Azul. Azul is somebody that I met in a mastermind. We are both in Pat Flynn's mastermind. And as you'll hear in this podcast interview, he actually helped Pat write his book, Will It Fly? It's a Wall Street Journal bestselling book. And Azul, helped him write it. And in this episode, Azul is going to break down his process on writing a book, what you need before and during to ensure it is everything that you want it to be and more, and how when you go into it, you're probably thinking one way and you probably should be thinking another way. And he's going to break down how he actually wrote a book in 30 days and how you can too. So I think you're really going to like this episode if you have already written a book or if you are thinking of writing a book. We also touch on Azul's TEDx talk. He recently did a TEDx talk and it was called What Makes a Good Teacher Great? And this talk has gotten an insane amount of views, like over a million. So you are going to want to hear how he landed that TEDx talk and how he got all of those views to that talk and actually what has happened for him since that talk because of all of those views on YouTube. Ever wonder how some people seem to get a ton of media coverage and you don't? Welcome to Become a Media Maven, where TV reporter, host, and news contributor Christina Nicholson shares years of media experience to help you get the media attention you and your business deserve. And now, to help you master your media coverage, Christina Nicholson. Azul, thank you so much for joining me on the Become a Media Maven podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored. And I wanted to have you on for a couple of reasons. One, um, well, really just one main reason is that you're amazing at everything you do. Um, And a couple of things that stand out is you're like a master at teaching people how to write books. And you also help them with TEDx stuff, which we may or may not get into. I want to focus more on the book stuff just because selfishly I want to hear more about that. But if we get into some TEDx conversation, then it'll be a bonus. Awesome. Okay, cool. Okay, so writing books. I feel like this is something on everybody's to-do list. And if it's not something on the short-term to-do list, it's long-term. Like for me, I told you this year, um, okay, this I'm going to do this next year. I'm going to write a book next year. And then I always feel like it's something that keeps getting put on the back burner. And I think it just feels like such a big thing and like lots to do. But you make it super easy. So first start off. By telling us how you make it super easy, i.e. writing a book in 30 days. (laughs) Right. Well, I think a lot of that is to understand that writing a book isn't the hardest part. I think people think, wow, writing a book just seems daunting because the last paper they wrote was like five pages for college. But the truth is, it's the idea of a book that's probably more daunting. So the first thing is to get rid of people's like beliefs about writing. Um, And the biggest barrier to it is most people that go to try to write a book start with what they know, which means they usually use the methods they learned in school. Like first you get an outline and then you organize yourself and then you write. But that's actually the most restrictive way to write a book. And so the first thing I have to do is help people unlearn a bunch of things. And the reason I have to do that is we're not trained to be writers. I think most of us think we are. Most of us are trained to be editors. And my evidence for this is when you went to go turn in a paper, you often didn't do it until the night before. 
and you often did it with the least amount of uh, resistance, meaning like I just want to get a paper that gets me the grade. You weren't worried about the message, the content, like you were really worried about will this return its value as far as my teacher is concerned, a professor, et cetera. So first of all, we always have this resistance. So we spend our time editing as we write. We write, we edit, we write, we edit. That's how I write emails too. I write, I edit, I write, because that's how we're trained, as opposed to write for, let me craft this wonderful message and then go back and use my left brain, the brain that's like more logical and analytical to make it better. We often don't start with the creative part, which is what's the big message, what's the important part, who am I trying to write to? So my first job to get it to write quickly is to help unblock all those thinking and narratives in our head that kind of play out. So that's the first thing. It's got to take and remove all the past experiences, beliefs about book writing. Um, and that's really one of the ways. The other thing I tell people is like, look, writing a book isn't difficult if you take away another thing, which is you probably are trying to write too many books into one. Um, people just often clog the funnel of creativity because what they're doing is like, oh, I could write a book about this. Oh, but then there's this. But it's a little bit of this. Really hard for people to write a clear message if they're not clear themselves. And so they constantly rewrite in their head before they even start. So there's a couple of things like that we do to make it easy. And writing a book is all about word count. So if you know um, NaNoWriMo, which is like write a novel in the month, in November month, and people, if you write about 1,600 words a day, that's what you'll do to be able to finish a novel in a month. And a lot of people do it. And it's possible, like uh, our friend Pat Flynn is writing, using that method to write his book now, but it wasn't always that easy for Pat. He took months and months and months to even figure out how he could write a book before he even started. So those are some of the things I tell people before they even get started about thinking about a book. Okay. Okay. So I like this a lot for a couple of reasons. One, I started off by telling you, oh, this is on my list of things to do, but it keeps get, getting pushed back. And it's because it's the idea of the book that is daunting. So you already like crushed that. So now it's time to move on and stop getting caught up in the idea and the thought of it because it can be done. I love the 1,600 words a day to get the book done in 30 days. And you mentioned Pat. That's actually how we know each other. We are both in his mastermind. And you helped him write Will It Fly? Tell us a little bit about, and maybe you can use that as an example, um, where to even begin. So now we know we shouldn't be daunted by the idea. We maybe have a clear message, right? We, instead of writing four books in one, we're like, okay, this is our clear message. First of all, how do we know it's a clear message? And then once we get it clear, what do we do with it? Right. That's a great question. When Pat first and I started working together, he he said, let's meet in Barnes and Nobles. I want to get inspired. I said, great. We sat down and we started talking about his ideas. And his first idea was, I want to write the online, the encyclopedia for everything online. And my my eyes kind of like opened wide because I'm like, that is a daunting book. You know, podcasting, blogging. He had so much. He's like, don't worry, but I'm going to break it down to small parts. So it'll be a series of books. Like, a, you know, uh, like my version of this kind of book for dummies. And I was like, well, let's walk around. And when we returned, he realized, you know what? I said, Pat, does anyone read encyclopedias? He's like, oh, actually, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm like, so that was the biggest barrier. Even though you have a lot of knowledge, people don't need all of your knowledge. The first thing you got to realize that writing a book, in my belief, is not transactional, which means, hey, I have stuff in my head that I know, and I want to open your head and dump what's in my head into yours. That's a transactional book. Those are how-to books. Those are books that are like how to sell your house in 30 days or something like that. That's a, that's a great book, but those transactional books um, are probably easier to write because they're more how-to. But when he was thinking about Will It Fly, he was trying to grow himself into a new space, which was 
look, I don't sell anything that isn't somebody else's product. He's an affiliate marketer at the time. So this book was his sort of like coming into himself, like he wanted to be able to sell courses after this launch of this book. So we had to find the thing that would help him transition into that space. And it took him a long time to let go of all these different ideas he thought he could write because he had expertise and find the book he should write, the one that was going to be transformational for him as the author. He needed to transform, let go of the limiting beliefs that he um, didn't have anything, no one would buy from him. And because he'd been telling his audience, you know, I don't sell you anything, everything's free. So he had to overcome that. So Will It Fly was him finding who is the audience I want to serve the most. And he realized 70% of his audience never actually made more than $500 online. And he wanted to serve them. And so Will It Fly was about that idea. And that was the book that helped launch him into offering courses, you know, the same power podcasting course that we probably took to, to get this podcast going. He, that was his impetus. That was the growth. And so finding the right idea, in my belief, is around finding the book that's going to transform the author. Because if the author doesn't have a transformation, how do you expect the reader to? They're just going to get information and they'll be forgettable. They won't remember it. And you'll get tired of talking about it because it's something you know. It's not something you deeply are or believe in. And this is really your sweet spot. It's like working with people and talking with them to find it. Like, And I've seen you in action, like in our mastermind. And I'm like blown away. I feel like I'm having like an out-of-body experience. <laughs> like watching you and your partner like in action. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like I didn't know I was a deep person, but Azul like can get you to go deep. <laughs> Thank you. That's very kind. The, the idea is if you find that truth that you have that makes you unique, it's not your, it's not your content. It's not your information people want to connect with. It's you. And you are the most valuable thing that you're giving away in a book or in a message. If you can find what resonates with you so much that you're willing to share it, then that's the value that the reader gets. I tell people your book should be the conversation you want to keep having. If you are going to tire of this or you think this is just good for your business, you're going to tire of this book and so will the reader. But if it's something uniquely you about what you deeply believe and is who you are and how you see the world, then you're not going to have a problem even 10 years from now talking about that book because it's still innately you. It's still what you believe. It's still who you've become because of the book you wrote. I love it. Okay. So you help us figure out the message, the conversation that we want to keep having and then what do we do next? I know, I feel like, and I don't know if this is like a big question that you get, but I'm just going to guess it is. People are like, do I go self-publish or do I go with a publisher? And if it's a publisher, where do I even begin? Great question. Yeah, I get asked that quite a bit. I tell them first, the first question you need to ask yourself is, what do I want this book to do for me? Not what you want it to do for the reader. A lot of readers, a lot of authors have a great heart. They want to help people. So they think, what does this book do for the reader? But I have to know, what does it do for you? If your idea of your book is to grow your authority, um, amplify your brand, um, something like that, then you're messaging and creating a, a memorable book that's sticky, that's worth talking about, that's not forgettable, that's easy to repeat in a grocery line. If you turn around and say, what are you reading? It's so easy to say, my book's called uh, Will It Fly? How to Make Sure Your Business Idea you know, Gets Off the Ground. That's really easy to say. But if your book, you're trying to write a book to sell books and be an author who makes money from their book sales, then you have to craft a book that people are looking for. You have to know what they're searching for and what they're buying. That's a different kind of book. That's not a book for authority. That's a book for sales. And I have plenty of great friends that make lots of money selling books, but they often aren't even 
names not on the cover. They just know they want to make a book about how to walk, how to make money walking dogs because they know that'll sell, for example. Um, so that's the kind of thing I help people is figure out, well, what's your why first? Because if you get clear on your why, you'll know whether or not should I go for a traditional publisher? Should I publish this on my own? Do I want to create a course from this book eventually or a program? Uh, do I want to make an audio book as well? Do I want to be able to sell this to foreign rights to other uh, countries, plenty of countries need our books because they don't have they're they're catching up to some of this online stuff, and even some of the business principles or the teachings that you have, but they don't have enough authors, so they're looking for books to translate. So there's lots to think about. If you're looking for pure authority and you have a large audience, then maybe a traditional um, route is good for you. But realize it's going to be uh, you're not in control. You don't get to say everything about the cover. You don't have all. You don't make the proceeds, the, the publisher does. You might get an advance, but you end up having to pay the advance back if you don't make the sales. So really, you're selling your own book, and that's still what you do as self-publisher. So there's a lot of things to think about, obviously. Okay. So there's definitely a lot of pros and a lot of kind, cons to both sides, it sounds like, depending on what right. your goal is. Right. And I think you know, 15 years ago, when you started doing self-publishing, they looked like something you ran off of Kinko's. It always look like and felt like a really bad uh, knockoff of you know something an ebook that was printed nowadays there's just so much access to great uh, artists who used to work in publishing or now freelancing that you can get a hold of and great editors and you know Amazon is the way most people buy books they're not in bookstores as much as they used to so self-publishers have a really big advantage now that traditional publishers used to have and now that they don't because now people are buying it online and they're not worried about what it looks like at the end cap because you paid extra money to be there. They're looking for the covers that resonate, that book titles that sound like something they would want to read. And that doesn't take a big distributor. That takes thinking through a solution to someone's problem. Yeah. And you just kind of answered my next question, which was going to be, do you think just because of the way um, the media industry and the online industry has transformed these last few years of self-publishing is just getting better and better? And it sounds like it is. Um, I know when Pat launched Will It Fly, he wanted people to go into a Barnes and Noble and request the book because he knew the book wasn't there. And if Barnes and Noble got enough requests, they would potentially put it on their shelves. Right. And you know what? The truth is we could have done it differently. Pat wanted to do it this particular way. He loves being an experimenter. Um, but really you could get it put in some place like a, a print house like Ingram Sparks where they actually will make it available and you could get it into bookstores um, without the same amount of effort that Pat did. He was basically trying to break the system. Would they actually get a book that normally is only on Amazon and put it in their stores? That was an experiment. But you really can get books into bookstores. Uh, how many they're there and how they get noticed is a little more difficult. But like if you have a local bookstore, if there's some relationships in bookstores, small independent bookstores want authors to come in to bring people in. You could always do signings in there and let them know your book is available and they can order it and have it there. Um, it's a lot easier now than even it was when Pat launched his book. It gets easier and easier because we're having more access to the information that only publishers used to have. Yeah, and in episode um, four, I had Amy Landino on, and she did that. Um, I believe she self-published her book, and in Columbus, Ohio, she went into a local bookstore, and they carry her book, and she had a book signing in there as well. So same idea. Yeah, and I encourage authors to do that if they have a local bookstore. It helps. It's a great way to build press. It's a great way to build visibility uh, and also create a, a buzz that you're you're making your book an event again and again. Every time you do it, you get to talk about your book. You get to share it on, share it on social so it doesn't feel like you're begging for purchasers 
uh, to come get it. You, you're making an event. So it's one of the ways you can continue to get your book to have life without feeling like you're going on and on about please buy my book, which is the least effective way to get someone to buy it. You want to make value. And, and an appearance, uh, talking to an author, answering a question is a really great way to do it. Okay, perfect. Okay, so I know it's not daunting anymore. I have my clear message. And let's pretend we're going to self-publish just because right now, from what I'm gathering, that sounds like the better option to go. So what do I do next? Well, the first thing, the hardest part about writing any book is finishing the first ugly, messy draft. Um, I think that's the biggest barrier. I think the New York Times in 2008 put out an article that said 81% of Americans want to write a book or say they have a book inside of them but only 3% ever actually finished a manuscript. So it's on everyone's bucket list, or a lot of people, at least 81%, but only three finish, and that's the biggest barrier. So that's the first thing, is getting a manuscript finished. Um, after that, um, of those 3%, only 30% actually ever hit publish. So we're talking a really small percentage of 1% that actually ever publish a book. I know sometimes it feels like everybody has a book, but that's just not true. Um, so the, the next thing you need to do is get get your, your uh, ducks in a row. And the two places I'd spend most of my money would be a quality editor and a great cover designer because those are the two things that will show to people that your book isn't um, professionally done. They may not be able to tell from the from uh, anything else until they start to read it in the interior and it's not well edited. People are really judgy when they see a mistake. Even though traditional books have mistakes, um, they fix them quickly. But the other thing is if it looks like it belongs in the category and it's ranked really high and has reviews, then people are more likely to endorse it and buy it. Um, so spending money on those two things, knowing where to find good editors and good designers is the biggest hurdle because 70% of books are purchased online now. And uh, if you buy a book, you're purchasing it the size of a stamp. So you have to be able to read it within a couple of seconds as you're flipping through. Uh, you don't have much time, so you can't design a book that looks pretty just because you like it. You have to design it for the reader who's looking for a book that's like the last book they read or a book they know of in your genre. People judge books by covers, people. That is they why do. this is important. And I love that you have all of these stats that you're just throwing out. <laughs> I just get asked a lot, so I have to kind of know what you know what's going on. I think that's the biggest the biggest error is people don't understand the industry enough to know that it's changing and moving, but it's changing and growing in their favor, which is actually really good. Yeah, but these stats, like they really put things into perspective. So I love that you're just like throwing them out there. Um, okay, so we wrote the book and we need to pay a good editor. I mean, I read a lot, as you know, and I do catch mistakes in books and I feel like it's weird. I feel like, oh my gosh, they made a mistake and I caught it. Do they know this is there? How did I catch this and they didn't? Like I really feel like that <laughs> when I'm reading <laughs> books and I catch a mistake. But it stands out because you're thinking this is a published book that you know I bought on Amazon or I checked out from the library. Like it shouldn't have mistakes in it. So it really does stand out. Right. And the truth is all published books have mistakes. Uh, over time they get remediated and fixed. But first editions often have mistakes, even of some of our favorite uh, authors. And that's just because our the human eye is proofing it. And, you know, sometimes we just miss uh, a simple though that should have been something else. So I think that just accept that that's going to be a part of the process. And but the, the fewer you have, the more likely they are the people to they'll give you forgiveness. when they see one. They'll get excited like, oh, I found something. But if you have too many and it just sounds poorly written, they're not going to be forgiving. They're going to close the book and not tell their friends about it. And you want them to tell 
all of their friends about your book. Right. Okay. So we got it edited. We got a great graphic designer to make it look good. And then the next part is the promotion. And I can tell you on the media side, I get contacted a lot by people who have written books or they're literally launching a book next week. And I'm talking nonfiction specifically. And I'm like, I always tell them it's very hard to just promote a book in the media because people are publishing books every other day, especially when it comes to nonfiction, you should be promoting yourself as an expert in your industry. And then as a side effect, your book gets the promotion. So talk about what happens from, from your point of view and your perspective after you're done with the book, it's been edited um, and you go the self-publishing route. I'm sure there's a lot of like industry specific stuff on the self-publishing side, but I mean, it's done. And then what comes next? Like, what do you do? Right. Well, the, the, the very, very first time you should start pu- um, promoting your book is right before you start writing it. Thank uh, you. Think, Amen, Azul. <laughs> the, 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 the point of it is you need the longest runway as you possibly can to have this conversation. You can't just say, buy my book. No one cares enough about you to just buy your book. Maybe a few of your friends, I call those superheroes, they're ready to buy your book. Maybe you have 25, maybe you have 100. That's great. Maybe if you're Pat Flynn, you have thousands. But the truth is, if you want your book to have a, a, a be a conversation piece, you have to talk about it as you're writing it. Um, that was the biggest thing I did for my book, even though I didn't know what I was doing, was I talked about my book every day. I talked about writing the book, that I was going to write the book, that I planned to write the book, and then I started writing. And every day I posted a video about what happened today. Uh, halfway through, I lost my manuscript, and I talked about that. Um, I wrote my book by hand, so people were interested in that. Holy and then I had to type it. Hold on, so, stop. Rewind. Why did you do that? <laughs> because I kept getting distracted for 22 years. I wanted to write a book and I had never done it. I had every excuse in the world. And then, yeah, I get distracted. And, well, maybe I look it up this person's system or I bought every book you could possibly think of on how to write a book or I bought programs. And so I just kept getting distracted. So I said, look, I can't be distracted by pen and paper. You know, that's like there's no excuse. So that was the main reason. And I only had 30 days to do it. I had a goal. And so I had to work in time to actually type it in after I wrote it. It wasn't a super long book, but, you know, 28,000 words still takes you time to write it. So you have to sit and do it. So, but talking about it daily, people were, you know, for a minute, I would tune in about what was going on with the book, where I was. I'd post pictures. I'd be at the pool. I was like, hey, I snuck into a hotel pool. They think I'm here, but I'm here to write my book. You know, (laughs) I I just created, I created behind the scenes as if it were something special when really it wasn't. And so every, every time I did it, you know. I was like, hey, today I'm at the coffee house. I'm writing at the Starbucks. Today we're going to write the book, but I'm buying the person behind me a coffee because I need some extra juice. You know, like I would just like keeping people engaged. So now I'm growing my audience. I created a Facebook group just for this launch. So the best time to promote your book is before you even start it. And then when I went to launch it, it was so much easier to get reviews because people were paying attention. People cared. Um, they got to see behind the scenes and felt a part of it. So that's the thing is you need a long tail to get the ability to get attention of people, especially if you're, I was a school teacher. I had nobody, I didn't know Pat Flynn. I didn't know anybody. So it wasn't like I knew anybody that could help promote it. Um, so that's the other thing. And the other part is uh, once you write your book, I, I wish to tell you that it was the, the, the hardest part, but really promoting your book is the hardest part. It's the part authors tend to shy away from and ignore and think, well, if it's good, they'll find it. No, no. that's true. <laughs> I hate to say uh, with several million books on Amazon, they're not going to just randomly find your book and think it's wonderful and offer you a Pulitzer. Um, you have to tell people about it and you have to be creative. And I love the telling people every day what you're doing. Um, not just because 
it serves as a promotional aspect on your end, but it also kind of holds you accountable because at the end of it, people are going to ask where the book is. So you really have to follow through because you said only 30% of people hit publish when they're done with it. So if you're telling people about it every day, you kind of have to hit publish. You kind of do your own. That's why I did it. I actually wasn't, like I said, I didn't know I was doing marketing because I know nothing about marketing. I know more now, but I was just like, if I talk about it every day, people are going to know they're going to hold me accountable. And that was the main reason I was doing it. And then when I lost my manuscript, I was like, I want to quit because if it were just me, I would have quit because <laughs> like, forget it. I lost the manuscript, but I was like, people were watching. So I was like, I'm going to keep writing as if I didn't lose the other half. And I just kept going. And then the day I found it, like t- fell behind the couch and I was like, here it is. People were like leaving c- crazy comments like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. You know, it, it just was, but it was really accountability for me. And I think that's a lot of what, what's important about doing it. I've constantly, you know, even on this current book, I've constantly put it off because it's so easy to hide. Oh, I'm writing a book. Sounds wonderful. But when that means you're doing nothing, it, it's not productive. I love that. And then your book can do, like you said, going back to the goals, it can build your authority. It can also make you money. Um, In the podcast episode, the fourth one with Amy Landino that I talked about, she did a lot of speaking. And that's why she wrote a book because every time she would come off of the stage, people would ask her, where's your book? Where's your book? And she's like, well, geez, I guess I should write one. I guess I should have one. Um, But it can also lead to so much more just because it does have that credibility and authority. And then it could also lead to sales as well, right? There could be some double dipping there. Absolutely. So two ways it can lead to not only um, authority, but could lead to monetary gains is um, I have a a client that just wrote a book. He's a professor. He wrote a book about um, teaching practices in urban schools and he speaks a lot. But I told them, weave into your fee that you'll speak and here's your fee, but you also require them to buy a copy of your book for every member of the audience. And he can sell his book and he makes, you know, he sells it as the publisher, since he's self-published, he makes you know 70% of profit on those books. So now he's doubling his speaking fee without it seeming weird because often uh, these um, schools that he's working with have a, a, a bucket of money they can spend on speakers and a bucket of money for like services, products, staff development. So they can buy the books as a separate budget. So it's not a problem for them. Actually, it's really helpful for them because they're like, oh, good. We need to do something with that money. So there's that's one way. And another way you can do it is – is have a book signing. Agree that you're in your speaking fee that you will do book signing and sales at the back. Um, and then lastly, in, in order to, to make the money from it, um, you can use it to gain a speaking career. So when I wrote my book, it wasn't that it was the most amazing book, but it was a really interesting conversation um, talking about a book called The Art of Apprenticeship where I was a teacher saying, don't go back to school to further your life because I wanted to leave the classroom. So I was trying to figure out if I could just become a, men- a mentee of somebody, maybe I could learn how to do something like from a Pat Flynn who I didn't know yet. When I was writing the book, I had no idea that he knew who I was at all. So my premise was I want to start a conversation so that I can actually talk about this. And that book got me invited to speak in a TEDx in Santo Domingo because I was an author. That got me speaking with the uh, the organizer. And they flew me into to Santo Domingo from Shanghai. They paid my way, my hotel, which isn't normal. But because I was an author, they thought, no, this is worth having you come in. So it can bring monetary gains and value because authority outside of the online world, everyone knows what a book is. They may not know what an online marketer is. They may not know all the stuff that makes Facebook work or any of that, but they know what a book is. So it builds credibility like very few other things will. I love that. Let's go back to TEDx because what they did for you, flying you in, paying for everything, that's not normal. You know what else is not normal? Having more than a million views on your TEDx talk. <laughs> no, that's not normal. I would you say. have that. 
Yeah, I, you know that was such an anomaly. The, I I pitched that idea at a mindfulness conference. My book, uh, the idea for the TED TED talk was called "What Makes a Good Teacher Great." A simple premise, a simple question, and I pitched it to this TEDx organizer who was uh, doing a mindfulness thing. I was like, "This is not even a teacher's um, like TEDx. How am I going to sell this?" And I really positioned around like the biggest dilemma we have in education is that we're not listening, and listening is a very mindful thing, right? So that's how I positioned it. But that book idea came from me pitching to another author who was at a, another event I was at. He's a New York Times bestselling author, Dan Rohn, who wrote Back of the Napkin and has multiple bestsellers. And I pitched the idea that I had collected 26,000 responses over the last 24 years about what, what makes a good teacher great from kids. He's like, holy smokes. And he's like, that would be a bestselling book. Let me introduce you to my agent. I was like, oh my gosh, uh, I haven't started this book. But the idea was strong. So the idea around the book was, let me let me try it. So I developed a proposal. I was going to do traditionally published. He, he introduced me to his agent. My biggest fear was, would this book be something I want to keep talking about? So the TED Talk was my way of seeing, does it resonate? Does it work? Does it, is it a big enough conversation outside of education where I wanted to land for me to care about it? And you know, no one knows. It's not the best talk. I, in fact, the night before, my friend Charlie Hohen, um, who was also a speaker that day, kind of gave me some tips, and I had to rewrite the whole thing the night before. And rememorize it, and it, 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 but I think it changed everything the way that, that I presented it. And yeah, I think it's it's unusual for a talk to have more than a couple thousand views, actually. So the fact that it that it's been seen by a million people in a little over a year is pretty amazing. That's freaking amazing. It's a really good talk. I'm gonna link to it in the show notes. I did a TED talk not too long ago. And my goal now, thanks to you, is to have a million views, <laughs> which <laughs> is ridiculous. Go. Now, my talk was about fake news. So I think I have SEO working on my side because fake news is very trendy. <laughs> At least right. it will be for the next couple of years. Um, but I actually got the TED Talk in a similar way, not the book way, but just the exposure way, right? Like putting yourself yeah. out there. People learn about you. They hear about you. They see stuff happening online. And then they reach out to you. So that's a great testament, too, of what a book can do for you. Right. And I think that's the, you know, I, I've gotten speaking gigs from that TED Talk. People reach out to me. Uh, an agent said, Hey, I have a client. He wants you. What's your fee? Uh, name your fee. And I was like, Oh, this is pretty exciting. I would then, you know, looking back, I wish I doubled my fee because I had no idea they'd pay as much as they did. But the truth is, if you have something worth talking about, and this goes to your point around creating a book, a message that's, that's, that has its own weight, like the book itself, the title alone has enough to talk about, then you know your book can keep the conversation going. If, you're, if your basic message is too complex, it's too hard to say, it doesn't seem to, to, to ring, then it's going to be forgettable and they'll move on. So, you know, I always tell people Simon Sinek didn't, wasn't the first one to ask why uh, or start with why. He just owned the conversation. He just made sure that it was really clear that this is who he wanted to be in the world. And that, that's what you have to do is not find big ideas. People think these great TED Talks or even books are, are big ideas. And I say, you know, great books are usually small ideas that everyone else walked over until you picked it up and started talking about it and it grew into a big idea. That's the difference. Yeah. And that, like you said, like that's really step one of the whole process. Right. It's I, I, Most people have come to me, work with me, said I, I, this was worth the entire amount of the money that I paid you to work with you because this was the hardest part, getting this one simple idea. And it's a shift sometimes. It's subtle. It's not big. But you have to know that it's there. And if you're not careful, you'll just write a book about stuff. And even if you've written a book, it's easy to shift 
the messaging so that it has a long lasting impact. And I'll give you an example. One woman came to me, she had already written a book. She just needed help self-publishing. She wanted guidance. Um, so, and her, her book was called, um, life club. Um, it was about her, you know, her new life after experience that her husband had an affair and how she was in her mid forties trying to figure out what to do with these two kids she was raising. It was a memoir, which is actually fairly forgettable to be honest. I like the idea of life club, but as far as a book, it wasn't resonating because I don't know what life club means, but we switched it and pivoted it. And I, after interviewing her and, and like digging deep in as if we were writing the book from scratch, what I found out is she used this word. She felt like she was lost in perfection. And I said, that's a beautiful way to think about this. So her book, we changed to lost in perfection, one woman's journey to true belonging. That's a conversation starter about, you know, being someone who lived your whole life as a perfectionist and living a life that you thought you should have lived. And now you're trying to find the life you should live. Um, so like, that's the shift. You have to really think about messaging. If you're going to create something that's people say viral, what they're really saying is worth talking about. And that's the difference. You have to think about that clearly so that you don't get lost and trip over your words that you're trying to write this message. Love it. Okay. So if people, I think everybody now wants to write a book after hearing this. So how can you help? (laughs) Where should we send people? Where can people find you? So they're not just doing it to do it, but they're doing it strategically and they're doing it right because that's important. Yeah. So the first thing you need to do is if you're not sure what your big idea is, you can go to coachazul.com and I have a free challenge. It's a five day challenge and you, you could actually get clear on your idea and I I teach you how to do that through some activities. And then you actually can uh, figure out how do you write a book if you only have 20 minutes a day, because people always tell me, I wish I had more time. I'm like, the truth is with 20 minutes a day, you can finish a book in just a few months. But, but the truth is we, we think a book's bigger than it is. So for that, that free challenge is at coachazul.com uh, and um, you slash challenge and you'll find it. But you can find about more about how to work with me there and uh, reach out to me on social media. I always answer my social media myself and I want to help as many people as I can um, write books. So where can we find you on social? Um, you can find me at Azul Taronis uh, on all social. That's where you find me. Awesome. And I will put all of that in the show notes. And I, for myself, am I, I'm going to take that challenge and see what I'm going to write about. That's awesome. Awesome. I look forward to it. (laughs) Thank you so much, Azul. You're amazing. Thank you. I appreciate it. We talked about a lot of amazing stuff, and we mentioned a lot of great resources like Azul's TEDx talk, Will It Fly, another podcast episode, and um, Azul's challenge at coachazul.com slash challenge. And you can get all of that information in the show notes for this episode. I also want to make sure that you know about Pitch Publicity Profit. You heard Azul say promoting the book is the hardest part. Well, let me help you through that hard part by teaching you how to pitch yourself as an expert to get eyes on you as an expert, as an author, to get publicity and turn that publicity into profit in the form of book sales. You can get access to Pitch Publicity Profit at MediaMavenAndMore.com slash publicity. I will also link to that in the show notes. And next week, you are going to hear from Jada Selner. She is another one in the same mastermind that I am in with Azul. And she has so many great messages to share in next week's episode The biggest one and the one that I am reminding myself of almost every single day, thank you, Jada, is to not stress out about achieving your goals, but instead to enjoy the process. 